you for uh, the love that you have for us. Thank you that we can gather here in this beautiful place that you've given us. Thank you for um, a delightful time last night uh, together eating and sharing our lives with each other. Father, thank you that your love is boundless, your mercy is great, that you are God above all. Help us as we look into what you've told us uh, in your word, um, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change us, that you would invite us to follow you, uh, to pursue you, and that we would um, do that with our whole hearts. Thank you for um, being here with us. We ask that your spirit fill this room and fill our hearts and that no other spirit be permitted, that no other voice would be heard but yours. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We've been working on um, the sermons on the Songs of Ascent. Uh, the Songs of Ascent um, are these uh, beautiful psalms that... Um, we're invited to join in as we go up to the temple, as we go up to the presence of God, as we go up to be with God. Um, this was the delight of, of an Israelite's heart, to be able to go to the temple. And they may be far away, um, and they could only see the temple from a distance, that it was up on this hill, and, um, and, and they would make this long journey... This trek, they maybe would only do that once a year or maybe once in a lifetime or, um, or maybe they lived closer and they could, they could come more often. But as they did on these great feast days or these great holy days, uh, they would gather together at the temple and celebrate the presence of God. The beautiful thing that happens when Jesus comes is that the presence of God comes here and is with us all the time, everywhere. Like, the Spirit of God is here among us. The Spirit of God is in us, working in us, uh, offering us um, the fruit of Jesus' good work. And the Spirit is on us to do the, to like, coming on us in power to so that we're equipped to do the things that we need to do and make the decisions that we need to make. So that is available to all of us, to any of us, no matter what. I, I love that, um, that God is here. And I love that whether you recognize it or not, God is here. That whether you know it or not, God is here. That whether you believe it or not, God is here. It's, it doesn't matter. We often get all worked up about our beliefs about God and, and God saying, well, I'm here. <laughs> Acknowledge me. Um, Jesus made us a great promise, and it's one of the greatest promises that I think he made, and it's one that that I often refer back to and think about and reflect on when I'm in trouble. And that great promise is, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Isn't that a fantastic promise? <laughs> Well, not really, Rod. (laughs) It'd be much nicer if he said, 
In this world, you're never going to have any trouble. You come follow me and everything is going to just be peachy keen. Is that still a word? Because peachy keen was really peachy keen when I was young. Um, so It means really, really awesome, okay? It just means really, really great. Life was grand. Um, life would be grand if you would just come follow me. But Jesus doesn't promise us that. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to struggle. It's going to be painful. There's going to be trouble everywhere you look. There's going to be suffering and and there's going to be shame, and there's going to be hurt, and there's going to be uh, huge problems in the Middle East, and there's going to be racism and sexism, and there's going to be uh, power-hungry people who wor- force their will on others, and there's going to be uh, hunger, and and there's going to be homelessness, and there's going to be all of these things. So Jesus promises us that in this world that's going to happen. He also promises, he goes on, he doesn't stop there, he says, but I've overcome the world. So Jesus comes not to just acknowledge that you're going to have trouble, but that he overcomes the world. Now, in the end, this world is overcome by the presence of God, by Jesus, by the Spirit of God. In the end... God has won, is winning, and will win. (laughs) Right? It's a done deal. God always keeps his promises. He always... Perfect. We are back. Not only do I have trouble of batteries running out, but I went out for breakfast this morning, used my debit card to pay, and now it's gone. It's not in my wallet. And don't get that awful sinking feeling when that happens. And then you go, oh, really? So you go back to the place where you ate breakfast, and they have no recollection of ever having seen it. So now you get to call the bank, which I was just trying to do. And then they put you on hold and then church is starting and then you're frustrated and you kind of get mad and you think the whole world is against me. And what do we do when that happens? We whine. We complain. 
like I'm doing to you, right? And all of you don't really care because you've got troubles of your own, right? But Psalm 130, this song of ascent, the psalm of ascent, it allows us, it calls on us, it says that we're allowed to complain. Sort of. Psalm 130 reads, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I used to think that I wasn't allowed to complain to God, and in a sense we're not. This isn't an invitation to just whine about our circumstances. God already promised us, Jesus already promised us that we're going to have trouble, so we don't have to sit there and complain about that, and whine about that, and worry about that, and stress about that. God is in control, he's in charge, he rules. But we are invited to cry out. Some of you are good whiners, but you're not good crier-outers. Okay? I'm, I'm a pretty good whiner, as you just heard, right? I like to complain about my circumstances. But crying out is harder, because crying out comes from a deep place within us. Crying out out of the depths, is what the psalmist tells us, from the abyss, the place of hopelessness. We are invited to speak out of our hopelessness to God, to speak out of the abyss. The abyss was a big deal for the Hebrews. It was The abyss was the sea. It was this murky place where they didn't know anything about it, and where it was scary, and where awful things could happen to you, and, and you could die, and you could be destroyed, and... and and there was fear there. There was, there was concern there. There was a deep, deep, deep concern about your very life. The invitation in Psalm 130 uh, that we have is that we're allowed to cry out to God. Out of that place of hopelessness, we're allowed to cry out. So where are we most often hopeless? We're most often hopeless in areas where sin has decimated our lives. Where because of sin, our own, the sins of others, just sin in this world, because of sin in this world, we are broken, we are hurt, we are destroyed, we are distraught. And it's from that place that we are invited to call out, cry out, When you cry out, you don't get to say how God is to fix your problem. Because we like to do that. See, my hope was that when I went over to Poco and Moms, 
they would say, oh, Rod, here's your car, yeah, uh, we couldn't believe that you left it, uh, we saved it for you, here it is, right? That's my hope. God, that would be a great way for you to fix my problem, right? Because we often do that. God, you need to fix my problem this way, and then you'll be good, and then I'll declare that you're good, and then everything will be fine. But that's not how, what happens. We don't live in that perfect world. We don't live in that joyful world where great things happen all the time. So we cry out, we say, God, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive. There are times in my life when I have been deeply, deeply convicted of my sin. The dark places. The places where I fear that if you knew the real me, you would walk away, you would ignore me, you would hate me, you would despise me. There are these places in my life, throughout my life, where that darkness is real. And it is from that darkness, from that depth, from the reality of your sin, the the the, the destructive realities of your sin, that you cry out to God. God, hear my voice. I remember those kinds of tearful nights. I remember the pain of realizing how much my life offended God. That God could not look on me with grace, could not possibly look on me with mercy, could not possibly love me because of my sin, because of what I had done. It's in that place where the psalmist realizes, I can cry out. I can't do anything about my circumstances. I can't fix it. I can't just soldier through. I just can't make it on my own. It's that crying out place. And it always, always, that deep place always involves sin. Again, it may be your sin. It just may be that we're in, live in a broken world. It may be the sin of people against you. And you can say, God, help. Help me. Please help me. Please, please hear me. There's a desperation in the depths of our pain and our struggle. And in that place, any other help that's offered is actually worthless. <laughs> nobody can walk us through. Nobody can, can help us in that place. When we come face to face with the reality of our offenses against God, there's no one else who can help us but God himself. Any other help is temporary, meaningless. The only one who can rescue us is God himself. In verse 3, he says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? To get to this place, you have to recognize that you're a sinner. That you're one who does wrong. That you've done evil. That is so hard for us because we do all the measuring thing. I do bad stuff, but it's not as bad as the other people do. 
I haven't beheaded any Christians, so I'm a pretty good person, right? I, we, we can't do that. There's got, we have to say I'm a sinner and have no equivocation at all. No excuses. There's no mitigating factors. There's no self-justification. Well, yeah, I, I was really mean and, and hateful and angry at the soup supper yesterday and said some really mean stuff to some people, but, but you know what? I had a bad day, so I'm entitled. Right? They should have known. Or, or, yeah, I treated my spouse badly this week and I was really mean to them, but, but she shouldn't push my buttons like that. She knows better. If every little thing that we did was recorded and played back on the screen, how many of you would want to stay sitting here? If your actual real thoughts, what you really wanted to do, got displayed up here, and we all got to see it, how many of you would just love to be here the rest of the, you know, yeah, oh, sure, play every thought that I've ever had. Go ahead, put them up there. No takers, huh? Um, Right? Every bad thing that I've ever done, every evil thing I've done gets displayed. Well, God actually has that record. He has the capability of having that record. He puts that record up there. It's, I remember as a kid being terrified that God was recording my sins, right? Like, yikes. Because wow. Um, if my mom knew what I thought when she was punishing me, that would not be good. It would not go well for me, right? I, I, if, if God kept this record, if God kept this accounting, then, then I'm in trouble, right? And so, but we think that even then, if God keeps a record, if he doesn't record everything that other people might see. In other words, sin is almost always done in darkness, <laughs> right? We hide our sin. We don't acknowledge our sin because we're terrified to. And yet, that path is the path that we have to travel. We have to acknowledge our sin. If an actual recording of everything that I've done was made public for all to see, I would be destroyed is our concern. And we would be. Who could stand? Who could stand? Well, there was one who could stand. His name was Jesus. He stood. His life was, by any record-keeping, perfect, sinless. And then when he dies, goes to the cross, lays down his life for us, he says, I'll take the perfection that I earned and I will lay it on, I will give it to those who call on my name, those who cry out for mercy, those who acknowledge their sin. There's only one way to get to this place of receiving God's grace, and that's to acknowledge our sin. I love this passage because I love 
verse 4. But with you, there is forgiveness. But with God, there is forgiveness. All that stuff that I've done is forgiven. So it's kind of fun now because, in, in this sense, I, I get to realize the depth of my sin, the, the stuff that I've done, the evil that I've done, but, but I also get to know that it's forgiven. And forgiveness here is not just like we forgive. <laughs> I, I forgive you, but it better not ever happen again in my lifetime, right? I forgive you, but I'm going to be watching. I forgive you, but I got a long memory. When God takes away our sin, when he removes it, he actually removes it from us and he erases it out of the book of life. It doesn't exist anymore. It's covered over with Jesus' sacrifice. It's gone. So I'm no longer worried about, oh, I don't know if I'm going to earn my way into heaven. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I've got what it takes. No, your sins are forgiven. If you actually believed that your sins were forgiven, how would you walk differently? How would you act differently? How would you talk differently? How would you speak differently? How would you be differently? If you actually believed with your whole heart that no matter what, God's love, all-encompassing love, was such that he had forgiven and forgotten all of your sins, that they were as far, Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, which I guess is pretty far, because I don't even know how you measure that, but maybe there's some scientists or something around here. No, I don't know. There's got to can tell us, but but the east is pretty far from the west, apparently, or maybe it touches. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, it's gone, right? And it's at the buried in the depths of the sea. Sin is done. Your sin is done. Stop living in it. Stop reveling in it. Stop walking in it. Stop believing that it has power in your life. It doesn't unless you give it power. And you give it power when you take it back and you say, uh, I'm not forgivable. God says you are. God says you are forgivable. You've been forgiven. If you acknowledge your sin before him, if you bow your knee to him and you say, and you cry out to him and you say, God, I need mercy. He offers it to you. With you there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. I love that as well. This forgiveness comes from God. It reconciles us to God. But it does something else. It gives us hope. And it allows us to serve the living God. There's forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve God. Last night after the soup supper, some people stayed and helped clean up. You people make a mess, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> and and I love that. Because we like to say, well, you know, they're serving Eric, or they're serving the village, or they're serving me, or they're... No, they're serving God. There are people who take care of providing food for us. There are people who, 
who take care of of uh, being in uh, teaching our children uh, cleaning, although apparently not in December, um, cleaning the church, right? The, this isn't a gift to us. It's this gift of God that we're allowed to serve each other and we're called to serve the community and we're called to serve the broader community, what Steve was talking about, that we were invited to do that not because it gives us a good feeling, not because we're generous and kind and loving and that's our nature, No, because it's an invitation from God to recognize our forgiveness and walk in it and love that we're forgiven and out of gratitude to simply turn and say, God, what can I do? It's hard. It's hard in this world to really understand the depths of our forgiveness. It's hard for us to wait on God when we see the evil, when we experience our own evil, when we struggle with our own um, tendencies still, even though we're forgiven to go back to our sin, to go back to our ways, to do the things that we're, we know destroy, we know cause pain, we know hurt. It is in, ultimately in the presence of God, in the final presence of God, when we stand before him completely forgiven, he's going to look at us and he's going to say, come in, <laughs> come into what I've prepared for you. It's yours. The invitation is that we're at that place already and we're still journeying there. (laughs) We're on the trip and we've arrived. And from our perspective, we're looking to that day when sin no longer has any effect, when it doesn't exist for us, when we live in this beautiful place with the presence of God forever. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait some more. And we get frustrated. And we don't like waiting. And we decide that God isn't enough. That His goodness isn't doing it for us. That we got to go back and do some stuff on our own. And we go back into those sin patterns again because we don't trust the reality of the beauty of what God has done. And then we cry out and we go through that cycle. The writer of the psalm is just dying to feel and experience the blessing of being in the temple, of arriving, of being there in God's presence. He says, I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord to draw me to him. I wait for the Lord to to walk me into his presence. I wait more than watchmen wait for the morning. A watchman waits for the morning in, in, in beautiful ways, right? They're just so anxious for that first light. 
Now, part of that is because, hey, my shift is over, right? And have you ever worked graveyards? Wow, you know. Yep, you do that for a while, and then your whole experience of life is different than it was before, right? Nobody ever, like, be really kind to people who work the graveyard shift. Just trust me. Um, they need all the help they can get, right? Um, they, it, it's, it's this longing for the shift to be over. It's, it's this longing that, that this burden, this struggle, this painful stuff, that it will be over and I can, and I can experience fully and, and completely the presence of God. There's another reason why watchmen long for the morning light is because we're walking around in a fog. We're walking around in darkness. It's hard to see. And with the morning comes light. While sin is always done in darkness, the truth is always spoken in light. It always reveals itself in light. We become enlightened when we understand what God has done. And we yearn for His presence. We yearn for it with our whole hearts. And that's the picture here, the watchman waiting for the morning. That first ray, like, oh, now. Now I understand. If you've been forgiven of some real sin that really, really bothers you and that really destroyed you and hurt you, if you've been forgiven, do you remember how much fun that was to know that that was true? I I often go back and revisit those moments when I can go back and say, wow, everything that I thought would go wrong didn't. And everything that I didn't expect would work out, did. It's amazing. With God, His forgiveness is such that it doesn't, we don't pay the cost for our sin. It doesn't mean that there won't be real repercussions. There are, because we still live in this dark place. We still live in this dark time. We are being redeemed, and we are redeemed. The writer of the psalm says, you know what, this isn't just for me. (laughs) This isn't just personal. It's for all of Israel. He says, Israel, in verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Put your hope in the Lord. If your hope is in, if I just get the right job, if I just get the right spouse, if I just get a good education, if this good thing happens to me, if that's where your hope is, you are hopeless. Sorry. If your hope for life itself is in God himself, then that is real hope. The writer says, Israel, everybody, the whole tribe, All of God's people, put your hope in him. Put your hope in his love. And it's not just love, it's unfailing love. Love that never ends, never stops. For with him is full redemption. It's not just, and I'll pay a little towards it. No, sin is gone, it's paid for, every bit of it. He has redeemed Israel from all their sins. He will redeem you from all of your sins. He redeems us 
from all of our sins because of what Jesus did. Put your hope in that. Let's pray. With you there's forgiveness. Thank you. With you there is hope. Thank you. Help us to reflect on how we can cry out to you from the depths, from our real painful places, from our sinful places, from our darkness. Cry out to you and ask you to come. Save us. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for your mercy, and thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've come prepared to give tonight, please do that. If you're a visitor, there's no expectation that you should. If you pass the baskets to the back, um, people will... uh, be able to uh, uh, take care of that. Uh, the healing chair is back there, and if you would like someone to pray over you, go sit there, and someone will come and lift you up to God. Andrew's going to sing a song. If we could wait with taking communion until he's finished that, um, that would be great. Um, so um, take this time as he sings to reflect on what the reality of the hope of God, um, the forgiveness of God means for you, and uh, enter in to worship as he leads us. Um, this is sometimes a, a difficult psalm for me because it, called, it calls us to wait and to wholly trust in God. I know when when God points out and the times that he has pointed out to me my own sins, and when I'm facing to face with the consequences of my sins, my instinct is to, all right, how can I make this better? What what can I do to fix this? How can I be better? Um, and I immediately want to jump into action um, and try to earn it. So like so much of our lives are, are transactional, and we learn from a, a young age what what's what behaviors are affirmed, like how to get what we want. Um, that it's it's so hard for us to learn or or for me at least to learn this lesson of just unconditional forgiveness um to to take our sin to god and then to to trust to ask for his forgiveness and trust that he really has forgiven us um i know even the times sometimes when i confess sin i'm tempted to i want to self-flagellate or like make some kind of grand confessional gesture uh to almost like so that it'll hurt and it'll be embarrassing enough that now I'll feel repentant and God will actually forgive me. Um, so it's, it's been really hard for me, and it still is that lesson, that seed is still taking root in me, that God offers us complete and unconditional forgiveness. Um, one of the beautiful things about the Songs of Ascent is there is actually an ascent, and I'm, I hope that you guys have been able to see that as we've been moving. We start out in Psalms 120, far away from God and from the people of God, uh, and we're all alone and then in Psalms 121, 
Um, God promises us that he'll be our protection, that he'll be our shamar, that he'll guard us and encourages us to start to come near to him because we're, we're almost like a wounded animal out on our own, afraid to draw near. And he's, he begins by encouraging us and wooing. And I think throughout the entire process, he's wooing us and he's teaching us about who he is because ultimately that's what affects change in us. And little by little, he's drawing us to Jerusalem, drawing us to the inner courts of his hearts by, by teaching us about who he is, by showing us that he'll take care of us, by showing us what awaits us in Jerusalem in Psalm 122, the, our brothers and our friends and the thrones of justice and praise and peace. And then in Psalm 129, showing us I've cut the cords and because I'm righteous and I'm good and you can trust me. Because the enemy is always lying to us that God's not trustworthy, that God wants to punish us, uh, trying to keep us from God's presence. And then here in, in Psalms 130, um, as we, as we draw nearer to God, I think he, he begins to, we, when we approach his light, he, I mean, you can see he shines light on our sin. I don't know if that's happened to you. Sometimes you, you think, all right, you've gotten over everything. And then God shows you something else. Um, so as we draw nearer to him, he shows us ourselves, but then he also shows us more of who he is, that I'm forgiving. Um, and it's not just what he does, it's who he is. I know when, when Moses asks God on Mount Sinai, show me your face, uh, show me your glory. So God says, I'll show you my goodness. And then he passes by Moses in a cloud. And then he says to Moses, my name. And what he chooses to say, it's really interesting. He says, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's that's who God is in his heart, not just what he does. It's who he is. And when when that begins to take root in our heart, it changes us. Um, so I'm going to sing, sing this song about God's forgiveness. Um, there are four stanzas in this. And the first one, you know, Rod was talking about it's uh, in my distress, I cried out And these stanzas. They build on each other in my distress. I cried out. And then next. But instead of keeping our sins and keeping account of our sins, God forgives us. And then in the third stanza, because God forgives us, the psalmist can say, so I'm going to wait on the Lord. And then in the fourth stanza, the psalmist then turns his attention to his brother and to his friends. And he says, and he encourages them, wait on the Lord. Because once you've experienced God's forgiveness, that's what you can share that and encourage others. Um, so that's what I hope this does. Mm-hmm.